Getting rooted. Rooted down into our past, rooted down into our story, and rooted down into the truth of who we are. That's what allows us to know who we are, own our story, and walk purposefully into our futures. This is Get Rooted with Robin Moreno. What does it mean to be Latinx? Latinx is a relatively new and inclusive term to describe Latinos. But as the recent election showed, Latinos, or Latinxes, are not a monolith. So who are we? In today's episode, we sat down with journalist and activist Paula Ramos, who set out to answer these questions in her new book, Finding Latinx, in search of the voices redefining Latino identity. As a queer Latina with Cuban and Mexican parents, these questions of identity were especially personal to Paula, or Pau, as she's known. To help search for Latinx identity and rediscover her own, Paula set off on a journey across the country, speaking to immigrants on the Texan border, farm workers in the California Central Valley, trans activists in Arizona, Afro-Latinos in Miami, and many other Latinx groups who often feel left out and overlooked. Through Paula's book, And in our conversation, we came to realize that knowing our roots and claiming our identity is one of the most healing things we can do. Our conversation is beautiful, eye-opening, and beyond powerful. And it begins right now. Paula, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, truly. Honestly. Okay, so... Okay, so the book is called Finding Latinx, and the setup is that you start on a journey, maybe after 2016, and decide to figure out what this term is, right? And so maybe some people out there have not heard the term Latinx. So can you describe initially what you thought it was when you set out to do it? Yeah, I think think the, the controversy of the term is that most people have heard it but don't really like it and sort of reject the term. And and the truth is you look at the numbers and only 3% of all Latinos use the term, right? But what I advocate and what what I argue in this book is that the moment you truly understand what Latinx means, the moment that you start to sort of be less afraid of that X and that absurdity, then it all starts to make more sense, right? And so the way that I define Latinx is nothing but a more inclusive way of referring to the 60 million Latinos of us, right? And so that includes people that look just like us. Um, but when we say Latino, Latina, Hispanic, or, or Hispanos, and we forget about the other faces. We forget about the fact that there are 3 million Afro-Latinos, that there are over a million indigenous folks, that there are trans people, queer people, that there are Latinas that are conservative, but also those that are fighting for their reproductive rights. And so Latinx, and in my view, is the only word that sort of paints the whole picture of, of who we are today. Okay. And why was it controversial? Because I remember I first heard the word Latinx when I was working at Latina. And it was like young millennials were like, no, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not Latina, I'm Latinx. And so I, they had to really explain it to me. I'm like, okay, I, I'm still, I, I don't know what's going on. And I love, old. <laughs> I appreciate that. And they were basically like, they had given me two, two ideas. And one was okay. that say that there was um, 10 Latinas in a room and then yep. a, a, a male walked in right? Instantly, mm-hmm. we would go from being a group of Latinas to Latinos, just by that. That's right. right? So, so it's sort of patriarchal. That was the idea. And then the other idea could be the, the idea that it's not um, gender conforming, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe mm-hmm. somebody doesn't really fit on the binary of Latina or Latino. But then once I was able to understand that, that yes. made sense to me. And I feel like it's something that I understood. But what did you find would be the, the, the pushback? Because it's still not something that's really readily adapted. And if you go into Not at all. My mom was like, Latin gay? Like, what are you talking about? (laughs) For sure. And I think, look, I think when when we refer to each other individually, like, obviously, I think people should identify however they want. Like, you can call yourself, I can say I'm Cuban, I'm Mexican, so Latino, but I try and be thoughtful when I'm referring to us collectively. That's when I, that's when I was trying to use Latinx. And so, yeah, I mean, Hispanic is a word that carries a lot of history to it. No, it automatically erases Black folks and Indigenous folks, right? Just because it's it's rooted obviously in in, in Hispania, no, in the colonizers. Latino or Latina, as you said, is gendered, um, and so again, it automatically erases um, a lot of other folks that may not identify with within that binary. And so again, Latinx is the only one. It's not perfect. Like we, we, can, we can get into why it's not perfect, but it is the only one that at least attempts to take us somewhere else. 
I think why, I mean, I've heard so many things about why people are opposed to, the, to this word. It was, you could write a whole book about just that. I've heard people say that it, it butchers the Spanish language. I've, you know, had people to my face that say that it is a term for socialists and left-leaning, you know, crazy millennials. Um, but I, I think to me, the more interesting part is, is truly like understanding why people are so angry at this word. And I think it has something to do with our, our like inherent biases that we've grown up with and carry our entire life. No, I think there is something kind of discomfort, like it, it makes, when you tell someone that they're in the same umbrella as someone that is black and someone that is indigenous and someone that is trans, the reality is that some people are uncomfortable with that image. No, and it is the first time in years that I think we're actually putting it in people's faces and saying like, look, there are black Latinos in your community. How does that make you feel? And I think that's, that's a new conversation. And to me, that's where I see a lot of the anger coming from. You know, this, this recognition that for years we've been claiming that our diversity is what makes us stronger and more beautiful. But when you actually think about it, how do you really feel about that? No? And so I think Latinx makes people at least think about it. So you talk about conversations, right? And so that's what you did is so you set out mm -hmm. and, you know, I guess, you know, let's take us back to 2016. So what was going on and why did, yes. like, why did you, like, what was happening to you personally? What was happening in the country? And why did you mm -hmm. embark on this journey? Because it's a true journey. You literally travel all across the country in search of what this means. And it must have a personal reason for you because things always come back to us. Yeah. Honestly, right. I mean, honestly, I, when I think about 2016, I you come to mind. No, I'm part part of my job. Um, was I was in the Hillary Clinton campaign. My fancy title was deputy director of Hispanic press, which entailed you know talking to folks like yourselves, communicating with with, with folks like you. And in that campaign, I was positive um, that you know part of the headline on November 2016 was going to be that Latinos and Latinas would ensure that Donald Trump wouldn't make it to the White House, right? I believe 100% that the, that the headline was going to be that Latinos would show up in these like unprecedented crazy numbers. Um, and, you know, in the face of someone like Donald Trump, regardless of your politics, just based on what he represented symbolically for our community, people would show out in crazy numbers that we hadn't seen. And you know more than anyone that we wake up the next day. And that wasn't, that wasn't the story. The story was that less than 50% of Latino eligible voters actually voted, right? More, more Latinos stayed home and slept, out, slept, you know, slept through the election than voted. And so I think in that moment, you know, it took me a while, obviously, after that. But in, in that moment in 2016, I was like, oh, wait a second. Like, I, you know, I claimed for two years working in this campaign. I thought I knew this community, right? I, I thought I knew comms. I thought I knew how to talk to us. And, and we really didn't. And all it took was, you know, sort of take, like, a little bit of self-reflection. Like, even, like, looking internally at our campaign staffers. Like, we were gay. We were, there were Afro-Mexicans in our, in our staff. There were queer people and there were older Latinos and, and younger Latinos. And the way that we were diverse wasn't reflected, I think, in our messaging and in the way that like we sort of viewed the world. And so I think there was a big gap. And, and that is sort of the origin of, of this journey that I take, no? It's going back into these battleground states that I thought I knew, going back into this community that I thought I knew and, and going in it with a, you know, with a blindfold and just talking to people that I hadn't talked to in years. And so let's talk about that because, okay, so your parents um, are both storytellers. Your dad mm -hmm. is super famous. Jorge Ramos is so famous, right? He's all right. Um, He's all right. I mean, I know, I know that. I mean, that's a whole other I'm podcast. I'm totally kidding. Totally kidding. <laughs> no, but I no, mean, no, no, honestly, yes. like being, um, having, you know, like prestigious parents, um, th that's that's probably a different podcast. But with what I, but you were they're storytellers, right? You have the legacy yeah. of journalism yes. and storytellers. And it was interesting because when you set out on the journey, you 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 say this thing, and I thought was so important. And you say something like, you know, that you sort of blend the lines between journalism and activism, and why mm -hmm. that was really important. And can we talk about yes. that because that, that there is a distinction, and it's it's, it's there is. intentionally. Yeah, and, and, and I talk about this a lot with, with my dad, no? I think we, you know, he always tells me, he's like, the difference between my generation, so, you know, my, my dad is, is a newscaster in Univision, and he always tells me, he's like, the difference between, between my generation and yours is that I, I can only wear one hat, no? Your generation can wear multiple hats, and you can sort of move around the world, and particularly in the United States, wearing different hats. 
Um, and that freedom is something that is very like millennial and Gen Z or no? Um, but, but yeah, I mean, the way, the way that I've always like approached my career has been understanding where like the pendulum is in, no, or, or where like the balance of power is in. When I was younger, power, you know, in my eyes was in Barack Obama, no, and it was in, in joining that administration because I deeply believed in his message of, of hope and change. And that was my career in politics, right? Believing that. Um, power for years for me was was following someone like Hillary Clinton because I believe that that change could happen if a woman would make it to the White House. And then when Hillary loses, I thought that power was outside of politics. It was in holding the government accountable and, and trying to push objectivity from the outside. And, and you know, and, and so I, that, that's the way I see it. And for now, my power is in storytelling, um, but maybe in five years, it'll be back in politics. And so I feel comfortable with doing that. Um, I feel like it's, it's my duty to do that. Um, and, and I do understand the pushback, like, can, can you be objective after having worked in politics? Yes. I mean, you know, lies are lies, facts are facts. And, but at the end of the day, at least what I try and do is tell these stories through the eyes of other people. No, I, I, and in that sense, I wouldn't necessarily come as a, like a traditional journalist, but my job right now is simply I go to the ground ask questions and tell the stories to other people. That's it. What's interesting and what you bring, and which I think is sort of the basis of Latinx, is that you're bringing the totality of who you are, right? We're and tell me if you think I'm wrong, we're, but a no. lot of time, you know, we the hyphen, the code switching, the idea that we're yeah. Mexican here, but you know, this way here, or Cuban yeah. here, or first generation here, or Spanish speaking here, or white yeah. passing here, um, where, Right, and it's almost this compartmentalization that leaves you not full, not fully seen, not fully understood, Completely. not fully processed, and not fully expressed. Right, and so yeah, does that does that feel right? It it does, and I think I think that that was sort of my my obsession with this word Latinx. I feel like you know, growing up, and each each person has their own story, and um, but but for me, growing up, it was I did I I felt like that. No, I didn't really feel like I belonged everywhere at once no or anywhere and so you know I my mom is Cuban my dad is Mexican and then but then when I would go to Mexico you know I didn't really feel like I could come out as a gay person in Mexico to my Mexican family but then you know I, I was born in Miami but then grew up in Spain and I developed this like crazy thick Spanish accent and so where would it you know did, did that make me less Latino than other people and then I you know I grew up watching my dad on a tv screen in Univision with the image of Latinas that look nothing like me and so did that make me less Latina than what I was supposed to be? And so that was sort of the, the a dance that I went through for, for years. And then suddenly when, when this term, you know, starts popping up everywhere, Latinx, I had no idea what it meant. Um, I, I, I didn't really know, you know, where, what, what the term was or where it came from. But I was like, you know what, in this one word, I, I don't need to come out. And I think this one word... Um, captures all of my different stories and i think that's that's the hard part of this word that suddenly people saw it just as a queer term but then suddenly you start seeing you know people on mainstream media using it you start seeing latino politicians using it you start seeing people that are not queer at all using it because it just starts to flow better because people in solidarity i think are are, are using it and i think that's that's what makes it so complicated so when you went out and you, so you go on this journey, right? And you're talking to, like you went all over the country, you go to the border of Texas and you go to the Central Valley of um, California and you go to Miami and all these places, you know, what did you see? What was, what surprised you or what, what were you trying to do? Just tell stories that people just were not telling out there about what this Latin experience was? Yeah. I mean, I think... You know, I, I think I, I was trying to find a thread. I, I met very different people in, in different states. You know, as you said, I met young people, young farm workers in Central Valley, trans folks in Arizona, and, you know, Latina moms and by the border, restaurant owners in the Midwest. And so I was trying to figure out if there was, first of all, tell their stories and go, go back to states that I had gone to in years of politics and I hadn't really talked to these people or mentioned these people in, in politics, but more than anything, understand if there was a thread among them, no? and then understand where it was taking us in the future. And the, the coolest thing of this whole project has been to write the story and then to see all of that culminate into what this election was about. Um, I think the thread of all the stories was among all of them, 
there was always an element of pain in everything, you know, and every young person that I talked to or old person that I talked to, as happy as they can be right now, there was always some, some, something of pain, some level of trauma, some experience, something that they saw their parents go through. And every one of my characters had that in common. And then the other thing that people had in common was that particularly the younger generation of everyone that I talked to in, you know, these over 12 cities that I went to, they saw that, you know, they saw their parents sort of have to, you know, be forced to assimilate, have to normalize pains and have to go through traumas and then sort of keep their head down. But then this younger generation of Latinos that saw that is rejecting that, right? And they are coming out in their own ways and not, not just as queer people, but in, in their prideness to say, I'm Mayan and I'm going to talk in whatever language that I want to No, or I'm queer. I mean, I'm going to come out as a trans person or I am the daughter of farm workers. I'm going to fight for, for, you know, for, for rights that my mom never had. And I think then you take that and you see what happened now in the election and, and, and that's it. No, it is, it is the picture of a younger generation of Latinos that didn't just come out for Joe Biden. No, more than anything, they, they came out for themselves. And I think that's, that's the biggest difference. And that I think for the first time, this younger generation is, again, redefining what it means to be Latino with more pride than I think than ever before. You talk, that's beautiful. And you talk about, I think you interviewed Monica Ramirez, who is mm -hmm. a big activist um, for farm workers' rights. And she does so many things, Latina people pay. Day. Everything. She said, puede. she's like crazy. I, yeah, I'm like, I can't ever keep up with her. Like, yeah, what you know, she's like, she did the Latinx house and, you know, on the side, she's doing something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, she talked about this collective courage, right? That yes. on the heels yep. of something like 2016, right? And on the heels of maybe not understanding ourselves, not seeing enough representation of ourselves, um, yeah. that people, despite great trauma, great assimilation, great sacrifice, collectively, we're having this mm -hmm. collective courage to stand up. So can we talk about that? Because that feels like what you're talking about. That is, and, and something that Monica said that I always think about, you know, she told me, she's like, look, the difference between someone like, like my mom and I, you know, or someone like our grandparents' generation and ours is that, you know, our parents or our grandparents didn't really have people to fall back on. You no, know? they didn't. They, they, they would keep going, but they were scared to ask for more or scared to raise their hand or scared to ask for that pay raise because they, they didn't know who had their back. The, now the difference is the Monica Ramirez of the world um, and, and, and this younger generation, we have people to fall back on. And now our parents have people to fall back on. And that, that's different. No, that makes, that makes the, different, the, the biggest difference. And that, that I think is, speaks to what she said about collective courage. Um, but again, I think that I, I always think about that because she's completely right. And I say it in, in my own grandmother. I mean, you know, the, my, my grandmother for the first time in the 2018 midterms, it was the first time that like she went out knocking on doors, right? Because she felt finally that, that she could, that she could have a voice in politics. No, my mom, you know, I think she's, my mom has been a journalist her whole life, but I think understands now that she can ask for more because she deserves more. And it seems very simple, but I think it's, it, it's reflective of, of them understanding that there are, 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 there's an army of people that are that are behind them, no, and that is just the privilege that comes with being born in this country, you know, with with knowing that I get to define what it means to be American because I was born here, my mom and my dad weren't, but I think that gives them a security that they haven't had before. No, that's no, it's beautiful, it's beautiful, and I feel like it's activated in the way that feels like there is even that we're having these conversations, right? That you're able to even have a conversation about what it means. That feels like more of a luxury that yeah. maybe generations, or maybe they just were trying so hard to Completely. fit in. Completely. You know, that they just exactly. didn't even question things, right? Um, so let's talk specifically Completely. about some stories because there's so many things that you highlight that people just don't even know within, within, right? Like say that someone's listening and they're not Latinx. Um, they yeah. might think, okay, we're a monolith or we all look like J-Lo or you know, we all speak Spanish <laughs> yeah. or whatever the thing is. And, but even within yeah. our own culture, there's things that we, you know, anti-blackness, you know, um, wherever we fit about like, you know, feminization and, you know, ideals of what it means to be Latina. Mm -hmm. But, you know, on the border, you had, because you spent a lot of time on the border, right? Yeah. And there's a lot of things that people didn't really understand about what's really mm -hmm. happening at the border. And so we talk about, and I'll turn it over to you, we talk about the idea that so many indigenous 
people are coming, right? There's so That's many right. people coming from Guatemala and that speak, you know, all mm -hmm. these different languages and how that, so it's like, it's like not seen and then less seen, right? It's even mm -hmm. more invisible or if there's black undocumented. So can we talk yeah. about, about what people are getting wrong or what you're seeing at the border? That yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot, I think, again, and when, when I think about Latinx. No, it's it's not just to talk about to talk about identity, but it it forces you to look at regions of the country and issues in a very different way. No, we're not just breaking stereotypes about identity, but also about policy. And so the border is a perfect example. Every time that I had gone to the border, when I typically go to the border, it's been to cover immigration through a very specific lens, which is Spanish speaking brown people. Mostly when I've gone down there, it's 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 to talk to to Mexican migrants. And so what I did in the book is, is try to put that to a side and look at the wall and the border through a different lens. And that meant, you know, being in Arizona and understanding that, you know, some of the highest percentage of, of new incoming migrants were Guatemalans, and the majority of whom, you know, when once they crossed into this country, were met with officials who talked to them in Spanish or in English, and their response was silence because they didn't understand Spanish because they speak in in Mam or in Cancoal or, or in any of their other Mayan languages. And so that in and of itself just this just makes the experience of the migrant completely different. And you're lost in the system, you're neglected by the system, and you can't even understand what officials are telling you once you arrive in this country. And so yeah, so I, I embedded and I spent a lot of time with with Mayan indigenous folks at the border who who are not just at the border. But I found, you know, I found them also in places like in rural Georgia and in South Carolina. Again, the story there being that indigenous people have been in, in these areas of the, in the most unexpected areas of the country, not just recently, but for decades. No, there, there are generations of, of Mayans that have been in Georgia, which I was like blown away for decades. Um, but anyways, going back to the border, the same thing, right? When, when we think about us, we think about brown immigrants, um, there's many black immigrants um, that are crossing the border, right? There's over 150 million um, Latinas with, with African descent all over Latin America, and many of them that are almost forgotten by their own constitutions in Latin America. In Mexico, it was just until like two years ago that Afro-Mexicans were just included in the constitution, included in the census. And so what does it mean to be invisible in your own countries and then migrate into the United States? You, know, you start losing track. Um, and then in the U.S., you become criminalized, not just by the immigration system, but also by the criminal justice system, right? You're too Latino here, too Black there, but you're a target for both systems. And so there's just layers and layers and layers that, um, that you know, that, that complicate this. And, and, and I think that, uh, that's, that was just my takeaway, you know, to, to truly op open your eyes to everyone else that you're missing. Um, and just one more thing, since we're talking about the border... Absolutely. And obviously, you know, you're Tejana, like beyond immigration, there's other issues that are plaguing the border, right? There's a massive HIV crisis happening um, in Brownsville, right? There are, there are queer people in, 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 in Brownsville that, particularly Latino men, um, that are suffering in silence because, you know, they're being infected by HIV. A lot of it has to do with the taboos that our own community carries. No, we're too scared to talk about being gay, too scared to talk about HIV. And so beyond just immigration, there's that. There's other Latinas that are too scared to say the word abortion, right? Just feet away from the border. And so again, it's, it's just, it's, it, is, it was just, this book is nothing but an, an exercise to force us and to break away whatever image we had of whatever part in this country and to just see it in a different light. So, okay, we, there was so much and it, did it surprise you or did you, I mean, or did you maybe know it that it would be so relevant right now? Because when you talk about, like you no. talked about like, like Georgia, everyone right now is paying attention to Georgia yeah. and we're That's dissecting, me. we're dissecting the cultures and the Asian Americans and the Latinos in Georgia. Yeah. I mean, in, in such a, in such a, like a micro way, but this is what you're talking about or like I, Arizona and like, why, why did that flip or the Rio Grande, which did not. Right. And so right, talking right. about these really, these like, cultures within cultures. And so when someone, when politics, like you go back into politics or people mm -hmm. talk about the monolith, which we know that doesn't exist yeah. in Latinx culture. I mean, how can someone try to speak to the larger Latinx community? Like how, how could we, like, is it, should we just read your book and understand that it's really like these, <laughs> no, no, no. no, really buy, buy this book. Hire uh, Paula. But I mean, how can someone understand no, you know it's what? so it's, of the moment? No, 
I, I mean, the thing is with this book, it, it is honestly, it's, I, I wrote this book with like the lowest of the lowest of budgets that could possibly be recorded in the publishing industry. Um, and it was one person. Um, and, and so all of this to say that this book is maybe like 1% of the whole story. You know what I'm saying? I think, and I think that is, that's sort of the, the, the root of the problem. I think that for decades, both particularly the Democratic Party has been very, very scared to ask very basic questions of our community, starting with how, how have Latinos changed over the years? Um, how have we moved away from just this like immigrant narrative? You no, know, that is very true for people like my parents' generation. The, you know, that, that narrative, that's the one we stick to. Um, but they were just scared of asking bas- basic questions. And then there's not enough resources being poured into this type of research and the data and the polls and the surveys. Like people need to completely rethink what that looks like and, and, and pour millions of dollars in, into that research because th- that's, there's just a lack of understanding. Um, one of the perfect examples is even just the criminal justice system. As I was writing, it was so hard for me to find just basic data on how many Latinos have been incarcerated, right? When, you're in, when you walk into the criminal justice system, if you're a Black Latino, how do you identify? What box do you click? Are, are Afro-Latinos even sort of captured in the system? Mm-hmm. The reality is they aren't. And so there's just, again, basic questions that I think the party has to ask. Um, and, I, you know, and every campaigning starts now. No, it doesn't start six months before the election, which, again, Robin, you know this more than anyone. If, if, if the Democratic Party is serious about it, I wasn't surprised by anything in the results. I wasn't surprised by that 30 percent that went for Trump. I wasn't surprised by what we saw in places like the Rio Grande Valley or um you know, or, or other regions or Miami, mm-hmm. I wasn't surprised because I, I saw it in the book. I also wasn't surprised that Arizona went blue. Stacey Abrams had been talking about this coalition, coalition for decades, no? Not for decades, for years. And, and so I wasn't surprised, but it's surprising to see other people so shocked by this. And so, I don't know, <laughs> it's just travel, travel the country, ask questions, get uncomfortable, you know? But, there, but let's talk about that discomfort because that's so important. Like that's so important for, you know, yeah. I, I've been in Latina media for a long time. And so I could just speak for yeah. me. And I feel like, and this I think parallels my life actually in a way where before yeah. there were so few stories told about Latinx people, about Latinas mm-hmm. that I didn't want to, I didn't want to tell bad stories. I just wanted to highlight, mm-hmm. and elevate and tell the stories mm-hmm. that people didn't necessarily, because there's always stereotypes. And so I was like, no, let's, let's tell the stories that people don't know. But mm-hmm. when you tell, right, you can't be what you can't see. Ready to talk about that with the, um, with your dad's uh, co-anchor, Ilya. Yeah. Ilya. Mm-hmm. Um, and that these ideas, but at the same time, when we want to tell the truth, when we want to tell the totality of truth. Mm-hmm. We also have to tell the uncomfortable stories, right? Mm-hmm. Not just the good narratives, right? But the uncomfortable narratives like True. anti-blackness or anti-trans yes. or LGBTQ or privilege or assimilation. Um, yes. And so how was that for you? Because you really went in there and you talked to a lot of people, specifically what I'm thinking about is when you talked to um, the guy that was- um, Oh like, yeah, the guy the from Proud the Boy. Proud Boys. Like, yeah. By the way, like that was that crazy to you? That was so centered in this, you know, election. It's something that you yeah. had talked to before because yeah, yeah. And so yeah, that, that was that, that was, was a trip, right? Mm-hmm. And so you spoke to I can't remember I can't remember this guy's name, but he's the, oh Enrique Enrique Tarrio. Okay, so he's yeah. Afro Latino. Um, right. Was right. I guess one of the founding members or the like chairperson yeah. of these Proud Boys, and you the way that you broke down and so. The way that you broke down his background was so interesting because he's Afro-Latino, Cuban, um, and you would imagine, and when you, when you talk about it in the book, you're like, this is not somebody I don't even think I necessarily would be talking to. We were so different, but you decided to sit down and tell me, tell me why. Yeah, and so, so for, for context, you know, for, for listeners that, that may not know who he is, so Enrique Tarrio is, he's Afro-Cuban. Um, he, he is, was the chairman of the Proud Boys. Um, but more than anything, he is one of Donald Trump's most avid supporters. Now, he's the, the, literally the guy that when you're in Miami and you're, you're seeing any sort of protest, Enrique is the guy with, the, with a massive, obnoxious megaphone that is yelling in your ear the most insane things just to support Donald Trump. You know, wearing shirts that say Roger Stone did nothing wrong. Pinochet did nothing wrong. Like that is, that is Enrique Tarrio. So yes, 
when I when I approached Enrique for the very first time, I mean, I even just my body language, like on paper, we couldn't disagree more. I do not respect on paper someone like him. And so the first time I approached him, I was like super aggressive. My I was like just my body language was you could tell, and I was very stiff. And you know, we we get through our first interview, and then I go back home. But then I, I decided to call him again and to interview him again, because I think, again, as hard as it is, and many people may not agree, but part of preaching this whole Latinx theory is that as much as you have to say that we're not a monolith, you also have to understand that people are also conservative and, and that, that you, you also have to understand the other side as much as you try and do the, you know, the left and you have to do the right. And so I had another conversation with, with Enrique and the more that I talked to him, you start to understand that Enrique Darrio is someone that, you know, has been left by the system completely. You know, he's someone that neither Democrats nor Republicans sort of owned, right? He was too Latino and too Black to be a Republican, but he was too weird, you know, to be a Democrat. And so at some point in Enrique's life, um, he he was just neglected. You know, he was sort of part of, part of no system, part of no house. And so Enrique's story, as disturbing as it is, is the reality of many Latinos that are turning for Trump, which is has a lot to do with this assimilation and the history of assimilation that many people go through, which is that since day one in this country, you are told that in order to make that American dream, you know, in order to achieve success, that success looks, looks like white power, because that's all we know. And so if Donald Trump makes a lot of people believe that they can be part of the boys club, you know that they can be one of them, a lot of Latinos will go through whatever they can in order to forget that they were once refugees or immigrants, you know, or that they were once other. No, and so, so that, that's real. And that happens in Miami. It happens in Texas. It happens in every state in this country. You no, know, that, that assimilation is very real. You no, know, and that perpetuates racism and it perpetuates these internal biases that are extremely strong. Um, and so, so as shocking as it was, when I saw the election results, I wasn't shocked at all, you no, know, to, to see how many, how many Latinos had chosen one more time in greater number than they did in 2016, Donald Trump. Which is, yeah, I mean, which speaks to, I guess, is the idea of, and it, maybe that's the point of Latinx, right? Is that you're allowed, tell me if I'm wrong, by the way, is that you're allowed to be undefinable, right? That you're allowed to have your own voice because somehow Enrique found a voice, right? He has the bullhorn, whether that makes sense to us or not, like he has found sort of his way. And it's this idea of standing up and being seen and being activated. Um, and so does that, does that define Latinx to you? This idea that you're, that you, you can, st- that, we, that, that there's an acceptance regardless of whether we like it or not, or understand it, that there is, that, that, under this umbrella, right? That the idea of being othered is accepted and that, it, that when we're unified by that? Yeah, I mean, I think that the hard, the hard part of, of, of preaching what I'm preaching is yes, is that I have to, is that I have to say that yes, part, part of being Latinx is that if, if, we're, if it's, we're trying to break all stereotypes, that is including understanding that, you know, there are, there are right-wing Latinos with their own voice. But to me, the true power of Latinx is, is having a conversation with someone like Enrique who him and I are on completely opposite part, parts of the spectrum, but through a conversation and through trying to see eye to eye, it's getting Enrique, who for years would tell people to his face, illegal aliens, getting Enrique to now tell me that they're undocumented immigrants. No, that to me is the power of Latinx, is that I can, I can get someone that has nothing to do with my political opinions to remember where he came from. As far, you know, if that makes sense, like as, 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 as like opposed as we are, that we can at least see face to face on a very simple thing, which is as diverse as we all are, we still all have something in common, no? which is that at some point, someone in our generations migrated to this country precisely to give us all the freedoms to be whoever the hell we want to be. No, and and that, that to me is it. Yeah. Well, and that's really everything, right? I, I, I once interviewed, I had the great privilege to interview Dolores Huerta, right? Who is the big mm. activist, you know? Um, and I, t- you know, I was like, ah, oh, we're still in the streets. Like, what was going on? Like, nothing's yeah. changed. And I was like, what advice do you have for like young people, you know, in the fight, in the struggle? Yeah. And she said, like, literally without a doubt, without missing a beat, she was like, know your story, know where you come from. If you can know mm-hmm. where you come from, then you understand yourself, right? You really yeah. understand yourself and you can create a narrative 
that is yeah. unshakable. Because if not, they're going to tell a narrative about you or back to you that's and right. make you think that you liked it. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, that's, I, I mean, whatever that it says, I, I believe. But, um, but yeah, that's, that's absolutely right. I think it is so easy, particularly now, to, to forget that story and to forget your roots and, and to want to forget where you come from, especially under, you know, this administration, which, which wants you to forget where you come from. And so if, if we can, exactly, if we, if we can get people to at least not lose touch of that, I think, I think that's progress. Yeah. And that's what you do really so geniusly in, in, in the book, Finding Latinx, because you, you know, you travel uh, to Minnesota or Wisconsin, right? Mm-hmm. And you're like, there is a history, right? Like generations. Yeah. This didn't just happen. Mm-hmm. There's a generation like of, of like maybe even hundreds of years, I think if I remember correctly in the book, of like yeah. some migration that ended up there, but somehow we don't know this, right? We think, right, in the collective story we've been told is, you know, mm-hmm. we forget that half the country that used to belong to Mexico, right? We don't even know these things. And then you see something like El Paso happen, right, which yeah. you talk about in the book, you know, where someone, ta- you know, uh, a white uh young man mm-hmm. is like, oh, there's a Hispanic invasion of Texas. And it's like, actually, if you looked at the history, like who invaded who really? Um, and yeah, so I think exactly. that you, you very much eloquently tell this in the book, which I think is great. But is that one thing that you would recommend to people? And it's something that you did. I mean, because you had such a varied background, right? Like mom's Cuban exile, dad from Mexico, but grew up in Madrid. And then yeah. in Miami, like, how did you how did you reconcile or have you like what your identity is? Um, I mean, I don't, or maybe, I, maybe have any insights. To how to reckon. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I think for me, it was just finding peace and that I didn't necessarily have to reconcile. No, that, that it was just, it was, it was the voice that I had and I didn't have to choose one over the other. Um, and I, and I think, I hope that that's what this book is. No, you don't have to, you don't have to choose one thing because someone tells you you have to, you don't have to love one way because someone tells you you have to, you know, you, you can be many, many things at once. And that can look many, many different ways. No, you don't have to speak Spanish because every Latino speaks Spanish. You can speak Spanish, whatever it is. And so, you know, I don't, I, all, all I know is that at some, at some point in the last four years, I, I sort of was tired of trying to choose and that in and all of this i i think was reflected in in, in this book you know and 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 yeah I, I don't know that answers your question and, and i think because because i'm probably still trying to like figure that out honestly well i mean it's i mean that's you know it's a deep question right you know it's like who are you no. you know but i mean it's, <laughs> it's, but is i mean is part of what is that why you wrote the book to sort of at this point in your life i mean you're still like still a young girl, but like, you know, like look around, right? Like you're, you're mm-hmm. holding the pen, mm-hmm. you're holding the microphone, like, mm-hmm. you know, and I recognize this is just one of many stories and I totally get that, but it's important. I mean, what you could do is you could tell the truth of your story and try to shine a light on others. And did that help you, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think, you know, go, going back to, to, if, if there's a threat in, in the book, it's that, you know, no matter, no matter who I talk to, no matter if they were extremely progressive or conservative, uh, you know, trans or indigenous, the, the root of what everyone was aching for was to feel like they belonged, everyone, no? And so, so yeah, so maybe, you know, for, for me, you know, for, for me, it was, it was in a way a statement of, of, of feeling like I belonged in this community that I grew up with that I never truly felt like I belonged, no, or feeling like I belonged in this country and that for the past four years, you know, didn't really want us to belong. And so I, I think, yeah, I mean, I think if anything, it was, it was an exercise of my, of myself to, 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 to sort of, you know, get myself to, to feel like I belong, but more than anything, um, you know, I, I hope I had like pulled pulled people and pulled people into conversations that would enlighten them into thinking that this was their country as much as it was mine and as much as it was for someone called Donald Trump. You have a, a many beautiful quotes in the book. Um, and you said there's there's one that you that I love. And, and you say, you know, real fighters get stronger only recognizing that they've been broken, right? And a lot of the theme, mm. when you started talking earlier, you talk about like a big theme is pain, right? There was pain, yeah. everyone had a pain point and it's trauma, you know? You talk a lot mm-hmm. about like trauma. Um, yeah. What are some, I mean, 
what are some ways you could reconcile that that trauma? Or I mean, you know, is it is it by telling stories? Is it by healing? Is it by you know healing generations by speaking up where someone couldn't? Um, how would you be able I mean, to I like, think, address this? Yeah. I, I think the young young people, and by young I mean even like people that are younger like than me, you know, like Gen Zers are, are doing it. I think, you know, so many particularly the last four years, a lot of, you know, I've been covering mental health issues among Latinas. Um, for the for the past years, right? I've gone to places like Philadelphia, where the Latina suicide attempt rate is the highest, you know, there. And we know that Latinos, young, younger Latinos, suffer from anxiety and depression. But I think the the difference is, is that it's not a new story. You no, know? I mean, our Latinos and immigrants have been suffering for this for decades and decades. What it what is new is that many are starting to to talk about taboos. You know that that we grew up. I mean, I grew up in a house where we didn't really ever, I mean, I can barely talk about my feelings because I, because I never, no one ever taught me to talk about my feelings. No, no one ever t- like taught me to like break, break down what feelings were. And, and the difference is that young, younger Latinos that could choose to just follow their, their parents' footsteps are not doing that. They're speaking out, they're talking about their feelings, they're seeking help. Um, and I think more than anything, it's again going back to like they saw their parents normalize these traumas, and they're and they're not and they're not doing that. They're not taking it. And so I, I think that is the only way that you start to heal. Once you recognize that it's a problem, once you recognize that these like injustices that you think are normal aren't aren't normal, um, and so that's that's the first step, right? That's beautiful. It's beautiful because it part of um, that's you know people have called you know storytelling medicine. All right, you know we think of different types of medicine. Right, we can talk about plant medicine or you know Western going to a doctor medicine. But this idea of you know rewriting or owning or discovering a narrative, right, and writing a wrong maybe is part of medicine. And so I see that when I when I see you and I read these stories, it feels like a writing to me. You know, like a, a right, like I'm writing a wrong. You know, like I'm changing a path. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, you know, a lot of it is is just, and that's something I I I always say I struggle with, but I, I I you know I wonder how how you feel. But I think some you know sometimes I'm I'm on the road so much, and I take we all take in so much. And then there's so many people's stories that sometimes that's that's the fear. No, so you don't want to become accustomed to that you no know? and you feel so much that I, there's there's times where I'm like I, I I lose something I feel like I'm like losing touch and sense of what people are telling me because because I've been hearing it for so long and so I think the difference between doing these stories you know, I don't know for digital or tv is that the writing process was the healing process because I, I have never had the time to like sit down on a computer listen to these recordings and like put it in a paper and that 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 process was really healing where I was like oh wow like that's what this meant, or this is what the silence meant. And so, you know, I, that that's a big difference, I, I, I think, between, like, writing a book and, and just doing the work that, you know, we do with podcasts and, 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 you know, TV and digital, that sometimes there's no time to process. And that, I think, that can be dangerous because, you know, it's, it's a lot, I think, for, for people. Well, it's a lot to, it's a lot to hold space for people, right? It's a lot to take in all of these traumas and this, right, you know, and, and take it in, um, you know, and to do it justice, I think. Yeah. Right. I think that, that to me is always the hardest part to, especially writing this book or in any interview, people want to feel like you're not exploiting their story. You no. Know? And that is, that is real. People are scared of building trust with reporters or journalists or politicians because they're so used to us going in, telling their stories, it lives on a screen and then what? And so that's always, that's, that's my fear always, know that whatever I put on the screen or on, on writing needs to heal them in a way that feels right. And that's a very, I think it's a hard thing to measure, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, 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 it does. Because it's someone's giving you a deep, you know, you talk a lot about trust, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, do, do we as Latinx people, do we live in, do we live in a society that we can trust, right? When we see so many mm-hmm. messages that we're not welcome, we don't belong, we don't know who to trust. And so when we yeah. do open and we do it, we're vulnerable, which is a way to exactly. heal. Um, it's scary. Like that's super scary. Exactly. Like, that's connection. Connection is like, you're telling me the truth right now. Like, that's fucking mm-hmm. scary. You know, people are going to yeah. hear this. Um, right. But at the same time, I have, you know, you want to be careful with this, right? Because yeah. this is someone's life, you know? And so yeah. you, it's not, 
it's a character, but it's a real person that's yeah. going to move on and they live on in different ways. And so, I mean, I, I relate to that and as a storyteller. I, know, I, know. I think that intentionally, you know, I could see and feel that your intention <laughs> was to hold space and to highlight mm -hmm. and say, you know, if we're talking about this term Latinx, I'm going to get very personal because the personal, like, heart heart connects heart truth mm -hmm. like calls in truth and so the specificity of your story is really important right even though i'm mm -hmm. not cuban and didn't grow up in madrid and all of these things because you're just telling me a vulnerable truth at the same time you want to bring you know everyone in to make it make sense but you know i i feel like the intentionality is yeah you know to is there and i think that it it, it it comes out but you talk about this touches on something that's really important as an activist as a journalist which is like self-care, right? Like you travel a lot, you are, you know, you have a lot of energy, um, you know, how do you honestly, like, how do you like, you know, self-care I know can sound corny, but it's, it's really the basis for, you know, how do you stay grounded? How do you stay rooted? How do you stay open to tell these stories and tell your truth? No, I, I'll take, I'll take tips from you because <laughs> I'm still, I'm still trying to figure that one out. I I feel like I you know I th there's different things that I've I've done for myself that I think keep keep me sane something as basic and simple as like running like running when I you know when I I try and run in the mornings because it is it is the only time where like my my brain can sort of like be clear of anything but it's also I think I think the best when I run in the mornings right if I'm on the road I always always you know talk to my I talk to my parents multiple times a day talk to my girlfriend multiple times a day but it's it is the only sort of stability that i have in these like chaotic schedules and but i you know i think there is i saw some i saw a tweet somewhere or someone said something of like in this american culture we pride working so much and i'm guilty of that you know i'm always on the road i'm doing all of these things and it's toxic like it is actually like toxic to 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 think that way and so i think i reached after you know after the election after thanksgiving I, I've never felt so, I've never felt as tired as I did. And I think it's because, and maybe it's, you know, maybe it's just like Latinos have this, Black folks have this. Like, I, I think we carry a lot of like guilt and sort of, um, um, you know, imposter syndrome sometimes that you, ha you feel like you have to keep going and you always feel like you have to prove something, you know? And when you reach one success, you want to keep going. And that is great but it's also pretty toxic. And I think I'm still trying to figure out a balance of like, what's right, knowing what, what, like what keeps one sane. Um, I don't know if it's the same for you, but, but I think it's, it's a good question and I, and I never know, I never know the right answer, you know? Well, I think the truth is the right answer. And I think that you just saying those words, imposter syndrome is so important because there's so many people that are listening to you that admire you, that see you have this career that's exciting and you get to travel and you get to be on TV and you work in different mediums. Um, but that um, that you might feel, you know, it's like, oh, you know, you, you, you convey such confidence, right? So that you might feel, you know, vulnerable or less than or of this course. idea that you, that you have All to the time. prove, you know, you have something to prove. And I think that that even just saying that I think is honest. And I think it, like, it, let, it allows people to have that. They could say like, oh, I feel yeah. that way too. You know, that's why I work so hard because I keep thinking it's going to go away, you know? Yeah, no, I, I, that is true. It is. It's, it's always there. Um. Well, I, you know, I want you to keep doing your work because it's so important, but I want you to take care of yourself. Um, yeah. Obviously, you know, you're, I mean, you're young, like you're, you're, I keep saying how young you are, but I don't think I realize that you're, I mean, you I'm 30? not like, I mean, you're not a baby. Yeah, you're I'm 32. 32. You're 30, you're 30, okay, you're 32 years old, right? So, 32 with grays already. Dude, you've done a lot. Like you've done a lot already. <laughs> so I have to, I mean, I don't, what, what's, you know, you said that maybe you would go like back into politics. I mean, is there any other, I mean, what else are you eyeing right now that you could share with us? I mean, if, if I can, my dream is to, to turn this book into something visual, right? If, if I can accomplish that in the next year, whether it's like a docu-series or a documentary, I, I don't know. But if, if I can sort of put this in a screen and, and, and do the same journey, but, but through like a series, that, that would make me happy. 
Well, I would love it because it, the way that you write is so beautifully. So if y'all haven't got the book yet, you have to get Finding Latinx. It's beautiful. You're a beautiful storyteller. Um, and all of these stories about these different people are so rich. And so I would love to see it as a docu-series. So I, not, not that thank you. I have any say, but I just support you in this completely. No, you do. You do have a lot of say, but, and I appreciate that. I guess the last question, I want to keep asking questions, but I think we probably have to go. But, you know, you talked about like your grandparents and you talk about ancestor and we've talked about this idea of knowing who you are, right? This idea that when you can, you know, the podcast is called Get Rooted for a reason. And it's because I do believe that, right? Like when you get rooted into who you are, what matters to you, then you, you have a good foundation that gets less shaken when, you know, people, cause someone's going to always want something for you or ask something from you or expect something from you. But yeah. what would you, in terms of your roots and your stories, mm-hmm. you know, this book mm-hmm. is part of an archive. It's part of a legacy, you know, and it, yeah. you're a young person. So it might be weird to say words like legacy, but you okay. know, when you become an ancestor, right. So you're, you know, uh, you know, kids or grandkids or, you know, nieces and nephews, when they look back and they see this is the work of Paula, you know, what do you want them to say about you? What do you hope that they would say about your work or that this is the kind of life that you tried to live? Um, that's a beautiful question. Thank you. Um, I, I mean, I think, I think just, if, if someone, if I can give someone the courage to come out and I use coming out as, as, as many, you could come out, there's many different shadows that people are in, but if I can give anyone the courage to like come out and to feel pride in an identity or a story that perhaps they were ashamed of at some point in their life, um, then, then I'll be, you know, then I'll be very happy with that. Thank you so much. This was super beautiful. I really appreciate your time. I appreciate your honesty. I appreciate all of your efforts in telling these stories because we need them more now than ever. So no, thank and thank you because you you know you you truly have paved the road for for many of us, and you've been you've been doing this work before it was even cool to do this work. So <laughs> no, truly, and so I you know it's we you know we we owe a lot to to you. So. Thank you. Oh big fan, big fan. All right, so where can people, okay, we could find your book, Finding Latinx, but yes. tell me, you're doing, you're uh, doing a reporting, you are, you're doing a lot of things. Where can the, where can the people find you? Yeah, so I am online, I'm on, it's Pau Ramos on Instagram and Twitter, and, you know, I'm, I'm always constantly on the road with, with Vice, trying to do different stories, and with Telemundo, I try and do the same, but in Spanish, and, and then, you know, if, and I always say this, if, if people, and that's how, I, that's how I find the best stories, when people reach out and they tell me, look at this, because no one else is, and so I always encourage folks to, to reach out. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure and follow us on social media and subscribe everywhere that podcasts are played. Until next time, my friends, stay rooted.